This is the art of charm. Learn everything you need to know to crush it in business, love, and life. The art of charm is where ordinary guys become extraordinary men. Welcome to the Art of Charm. I'm Jordan Harbinger. The Art of Charm brings together the best minds in the industry to teach you how to crush it in life, love, and at work. Imagine having a mix of experienced mentors teaching you their expertise, packing decades of research, testing, and tough lessons into a concise curriculum. We've created one of the premier lifestyle programs available anywhere, and it's free. This is the show we wish we had a decade ago. Now, this show is about you. We're here to help you become the best you can be in every area of your life. Make sure to stay up to date with everything going on here by signing up for the newsletter at theartofcharm.com. We also give away tons of free content that you won't find anywhere else. And if you're new to the show but you want to know more about what we teach here at the Art of Charm live programs in Los Angeles, check out the toolbox at theartofcharmpodcast.com slash toolbox. That's where we've got a lot of fundamentals like body language, nonverbal communication, dating, attraction, networking, negotiation, relationship management, a lot of the stuff that's more important than people think and that most of us find out far too late We've also got our live training programs running every single week here in Los Angeles, California. Details at theartofcharm.com slash bootcamps or give us a call here in the office, 888-413-7177 or you can even email me, jordan at theartofcharm.com. I read everything. Looking forward to meeting all you here at The Art of Charm. Now today we're talking with my friend Kevin Davis. He's an anxiety coach. We're gonna talk about something called PTSD and how it's actually caused. What do we really need to do to be physically and emotionally healthy? electroshock therapy and brain pills, the importance of taking time out for your health, to not be busy working 24-7, which a lot of us are, especially here in the States, and setting up boundaries so that we can show others and ourselves that our time is important and why multitasking is not a real thing and some science behind that to prove the point that you can't just jump from task to task. So enjoy this one with Kevin Davis. Now, you're an anxiety coach but you also had slash have anxiety. So you're in a very interesting position to see things from both sides. Yeah, that's uh, like one of the biggest, like what I think is one of the most significant aspects of kind of where I'm coming from. I mean, I was going through it. I had PTSD from a car accident that triggered crazy amounts of panic attacks multiple times a day and all this anxiety. And that's what led me to find an anxiety coach who I worked with. And originally, actually, when I started coaching, he was kind of helping me out with the process of getting started. And originally, when I started the podcast, he was my co-host. What is PTSD, first of all? I think it's like a, it's almost like a health buzzword right now, because soldiers have it and people, oh, you can get that from an accident? There's somebody out there saying that right now, including kind of me. Uh, sorry, post-traumatic stress disorder is, is what the PTSD stands for. We definitely commonly think of that with combat veterans. Right. And it's way more common in combat veterans than it is in the general population. But if you think about what they're going through, post-traumatic stress, I'd say, you know, six months or a year in a war zone is a lot of traumatic, stressful events. <laughs> it's, yeah. you know, a day-to-day -day job for them, basically. So there's, there's a lot of people who get it in that situation. And that's what we really think about it with. But actually, any kind of an event where your life is threatened, your safety is threatened, or even just perceived, if your mind perceives that it's a threat to your life, that alone, I mean, your mind responds to that the same way as a real threat to your life. 
So that's where, you know, a car accident, like what I was in, I was in this car accident. I went off the road to avoid somebody that was going to hit me and was not able to stop in time and hit a post. The hood crumpled and I was looking into the engine as it burst into flames. Oh my gosh. So, you know, perceived that as a threat to my life. Right. Weirdly. Yeah. Crazy, huh? Within a couple weeks after that, I started having panic attacks. And what's interesting is I would have these episodes when I was driving down that same road. Oh, wow. So it just like re-triggered. Exactly. You re-experienced the event and your memory is really tied in there. So unfortunately, at the time when the accident happened, every day I had to drive that same road to go to work. Oh, wow. And you're just like reliving the whole thing in your head, kind of like I'm making you do right now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Except for now I know how to handle it. Right. Okay. So, and what's so weird, I mean, at first I had no clue what was going on. I'd never experienced this kind of thing before. And so I would be driving. And you think about what driving really is from a physical standpoint. You're sitting in a chair listening to music, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it could be a beautiful springtime day with the sun shining. And, you know, I'm driving to work and just like chilling out with the window open and some music on or a baseball game on the radio or something. And all of a sudden my heart rate jumps up to 200 beats a minute. Oh, wow. Like as if this thing is happening all over again to you in real time. Yeah. Wow. And so PTSD is an anxiety disorder. So it's just a form of anxiety. Okay. So that's why we kind of, to some degree or another, with what I do on the podcast and with my coaching, I kind of talk about them a little bit interchangeably. Obviously, there's some differences in causes. You know, PTSD is specifically caused by some sort of a traumatic event, but the response is very similar. And so, how did you first start approaching this? I mean, did you start to blame other things, or did you know that your car accident was the cause of these panic attacks because of timing or something? Man, I didn't have a clue. <laughs> Because it was a couple weeks later, you know, so I was thinking, am I having a heart attack? Am I sick? Am I unhealthy? I was, I used to be one of these like super caffeine addicted kind of people, you know, if I, if I went to Starbucks or somewhere, I'd be getting an extra shot in everything I ordered, you know, just tons of caffeine. I was, uh, a, you know, bodybuilder and, and personal trainer. I mean, that was my background. That was my original, my first career. So you're just like a big, muscly, nervous guy at this point. Basically, like I was lifting all the time. But so part of my thing was, okay, I'm always trying to be bigger and leaner, right? So as a bodybuilder, you're willing to do a lot of things to make your body how you want it to look. Like steroids and juice? And caffeine and ephedrine and all these things that in your head, you're going, oh, man, did I take too much ephedrine and screw up my heart? Did I drink too much coffee and now my heart's all messed up? Right. So that's where my mind went with this stuff. Oh, I did this to myself. Oh, interesting. (laughs) Yeah. You just thought you burned your shit right out. Exactly. Like your endocrine system or something from all the abuse. From all the abuse. Because see, when you're in that mentality, yeah, I was working out, which sounds healthy, right? I was watching what I eat and I was working out multiple times a day. I didn't care about health, though. I did it just to look how you're trying to look. Right. Yeah, I've been through that. I mean, not the juice and everything necessarily, but 
there was no such thing at the time, and I don't think it really got to that dimension, but I basically was like borderline reverse eating disorder when I was like 20, because I was like, I need to eat two grams of protein per pound of body weight, and I need to work out twice a day because I don't know, more is better or something, yeah. right? And then and then it was like, so I just had these, cra- I mean, I remember at one point when I was really, you know, when you're 20, basically, you don't even need steroids anyway because your testosterone levels are through the friggin' roof. I remember going to the gym and like being like angry, motivated, you know, insecure, going to town on these weights. And I would go up like five pounds a week on each exercise. (laughs) I mean, now if I go up five pounds a quarter, I'm like, wow, I'm getting stronger, you know? And so I was just like this beast. And I remember not fitting into normal people clothes and everything. Oh, yeah. And like you can't buy jeans without like the most relaxed fit thigh you can find. (laughs) Yeah, because I'm just like massively you know, gross looking. And I remember one time I'd already started to feel like an idiot for doing that. And I know you probably hit this point too. started to feel like an idiot for doing it. And I was in college at the time. And I remember seeing this girl and I was like, Oh, that girl's cute. So I looked back to check her out and she was like making fun of me with her friends by like walking like a gorilla. You know what I'm talking about? And I was like, Oh wow. I feel like shit right now. Isn't that so funny how we as guys, when we're 20, 22, whatever, you know, around that age, we think, oh man, you know, I need to be, you know, big and massive and strong. I need to be jacked. I need to be lean. I'm going to get all the girls because I'm going to be bigger and stronger and leaner than the next guy. Yeah. And then you turn around and they're making monkey, you know, making gorilla movements or whatever, making fun of you. Yeah. And you feel like such an idiot. And that wasn't necessarily like the, the sort of like major turning point for me i just remember it really clearly because i was already like is this the right thing to do to make people like me (laughs) or whatever you know and and respect me and then that was just kind of like blatant proof that neither of those things were true yeah but we have this huge kind of misconception of that i mean every guy in our society feels like he needs to be striving for that same goal it's weird because it's not really that universal. It's quite uniquely American in a lot of ways. It's probably spreading more now. And yes, I've seen it in Brazil and it's probably true in Canada or whatever and definitely in certain cultures. But if you go to, I remember living in another country and I can't even remember which country it was. And somebody had said, wow, you guys all go to the gym and lift weights. That's such a weird coincidence. And it was like this girl from Norway. And one of the other guys who was from Norway who had lived in America was like, no, everyone goes to the gym in the United States. Everyone. Because at that point in Norway, you went to the gym if you wanted to be a bodybuilder. Right. Otherwise, you did some other sport and nobody was fat because you weren't eating a pizza every day for dinner. (laughs) So it was just like a – but in America, it's like, no, everyone – I mean, you don't go to the gym. What's wrong with you? You must, like, hate babies too. Yeah, well, and that's what I think we have this whole disconnect in our society, in our culture from, like, what we really need for a healthy, long life, you know? We think that we need that going to the gym and lifting heavy weights every day. Well, 100 years ago, nobody went to the gym. Just like you're saying about other countries, you know, you go to Norway and they only go to the gym if they're a bodybuilder. That's how it was everywhere. Yeah. It's a strange kind of fad that isn't going anywhere somehow with our obsession for fitness. But anyway, I derailed that one nicely. I want to get back to you ended up with PTSD. You You didn't choose it. And you thought you just blasted out your endocrine system from juicing and like doing extra shots of espresso and everything in the world, your caffeine addiction. 
how did you start to shake it? I mean, what was your first step? Because I know people listening right now are like, oh my God, I have this. I mean, you would already detox from caffeine and cut out the juice by this point. You just thought it was a car accident or, or what order did this go in? I mean, it actually took me quite a while to figure out because at the time I'm 27, I think. So at that point I didn't have health insurance. Let's just advise everyone, get health insurance if you can, <laughs> if you're a 27 year old guy or whatever. But I didn't have health yeah. insurance, so I didn't have this option of just running out to the doctor. Like it was a big deal for me to go to a doctor. So it was months before I went and saw someone to even find out what was going on. As soon as I went to a doctor, they said, you've got anxiety. This is an anxiety disorder causing this. But even at that point, it still took a long time before I figured out that it was specifically related to PTSD from that accident. Um, that came after I started working with a coach who helped me start to understand my anxiety and how to overcome it. Okay. Back to the show. Excellent. So what made you get a coach? The doctor was like, this isn't going anywhere on its own? Yeah, the doctor wanted me to take an SSRI, a, a drug for anxiety, and I didn't want to take the pill because of the side effects. I mean, they talk about brain zaps being one of the big ones. And I was like, what the heck is a brain zap? You know, that sounds awesome. So I started talking to people and I met a couple of different, you know, when you start to talk to people, you find out that a lot of people in this day and age have some type of anxiety or depression or something going on. And I talked to a few people that were on those same type of medication. And they're like, oh man, if I miss a dose, I get those brain zaps and, and that can be as simple as I forget to take it in the morning before work. So now it's 12 hours later than usual. And their brain, literally, you get this like lightning bolt kind of a zap feeling. And that scared me. <laughs> My God, that sounds really awful. How is that supposed to work again? Well, so the, the, yeah, the drug itself is supposed to impact the uptake of serotonin. Serotonin is supposed to make you feel better, right? Feel good. Feel how you're supposed to. Right. Well, mm -hmm. the theory there is that a lot of these disorders are based on a lack of serotonin, like not having enough serotonin actually coursing through your body. You know, there's some, you know, theory that you can make sense why they would make these drugs for it. But again, the side effect to me was not enough to make it worth wanting to try. Being you know, somebody who's used to training people and coaching people and things like that, I'm all, I was all about, okay, what can I do for myself to take care of this? And I started looking into how can I get rid of it? I was reading some of the different self-help books and those types of options. And the more reading that I did, the more I came across sources and research saying that you don't need the drugs and saying that learning what they call cognitive behavioral techniques. So just techniques and skills of changing your kind of mindset can do as much as the drugs can. You don't have those same side effects. And in fact, with the drug, a lot of times if you go off of it, then the anxiety comes back. You start having panic attacks again. Right. You're just married to this pill that's altering your brain chemistry instead of doing the work to you're basically attacking the symptoms with a substance instead of fixing 
Yeah, cause. that's exactly what it is. I mean, so those pills basically stop the symptoms of, you know, the, the panic. They stop the panic attacks. They stop some of the, you know, the rapid heart rate and the, the tightness in your chest and some of these different feelings that you get. The symptoms are not why you're getting this. They're not reaching the cause of it. And so you've got to keep taking them for as long as you want to not have panic attacks, basically. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. Gross. Okay, that sounds terrible. Yeah. How did you start to attack these naturally? And by the way, if you're listening to this, we're not advising you to go off drugs. Go to your doctor and see what natural alternatives there might be that have to do with this type of stuff that we're talking about. Because we're not doctors. No, we're definitely not doctors. And I definitely, I would never recommend anyone to go off of their drugs just simply based on this. If you're, especially if they're already on them. I think that it is worth taking the time to do your own research and decide if you want to take a drug, if you haven't started one yet and your doctor's recommending it. But if you're already on one, definitely, you, I mean, you need to go off it slowly. You can't just drop off and, and not expect some additional side effects with that as well. So uh, we definitely should, <laughs> should throw that in there. But for myself, so I started reading some of these different books and some of this self-help and getting tips. And I definitely found some relief as I was just going through some of these programs and I started to meditate a little bit and, and try to calm my body down. But it was just, it was like everything that I learned gave me a temporary, you know, improvement where I would feel good for a week or two. Mm -hmm. And then like my anxiety would find a way around it. You know, I would figure something out and one symptom goes away. Like I stop having as much tightness in my throat when I get anxious, but then now a week later I'm out to dinner and my fingers are tingling because that's can be another symptom of anxiety. And my body said, okay, you figured out this one. Let's try another one. Okay. All right. And so you just did a lot of trial and error. I did a lot of trial and error. And then finally it was like, all right, look, I'm getting a little bit of help, but I'm really not getting where I need to be on my own. So let's start talking about, what do I do? You know, who do I go to? Do I need a therapist or a counselor or what? One of the issues for me personally was agoraphobia along with it. That's when you're afraid to go out of the house, right? To go out of the house, exactly. Especially if you think about what we talked about, the car accident and the issues I had with driving because of that, you know, triggering the PTSD. I really had issues with, you know, driving long distances on my own or even just going somewhere where I felt like I couldn't leave instantly if I wanted to. I kind of felt trapped. So okay. for me, just going to a therapist or, or counselor's office, that alone kind of triggered a little anxiety, just the thought of being stuck somewhere for an hour. Yeah, sure. So that literally, that alone triggered yeah. anxiety. <laughs> that, oh, what a, what a crappy-ass catch-22 that is, or a circuit, vicious cycle, I should say, that is. Yeah. So, I mean, now what do I do? Right. Right. My mom just happened to be Googling stuff about it and found a website where they offered anxiety coaching backgrounds. Every single coach there had anxiety previously and now was doing better and they were trained as counselors. So they knew how to do the coaching and they had some psychology background and things like that. And they did it all by Skype. Did that work? That's what I did. I mean, that was where that was where I found my coach. That was what I used. Um, that got me to the point where I'm at today, you know, where, like I said, now I'm doing the coaching 
have the, the podcast where I'm teaching these skills. And then also for people who are to the point that I was at where they're ready for a little more help, they can get some one-on-one coaching. So, and, and again, same kind of thing. We have coaches that have experienced anxiety themselves and, uh, you know, are now trained to coach others. Excellent. Obviously, there's a lot of stigma attached to this, the disorders you're talking about. PTSD is getting some attention now because everybody feels bad for soldiers coming back with a disorder, even though it still has a weird sort of stigma, especially if they're looking at getting jobs. We talked about that earlier on the show. Like, oh, do you have PTSD? Like, no, I was a clerk. I'm good. You know, and some people are like, no, I was a clerk. And yeah, I actually still have that, you know, because of there's all kinds of stuff that we just didn't even know about these disorders that is now massively prevalent. Oh, yeah, definitely. The stigma is a big thing for me. I mean, we t- you talk about the stigma and it's like I think about, you know, our parents generation kind of thing for for you and I anyway, Jordan, um, in Vietnam, which my dad was in Vietnam and those guys that fought then, I mean, they weren't going to talk about it. You know, they would just kind of suffer through it for yeah. years. Right. Yeah. And that's part of my thing with putting out this podcast where, you know, thousands and thousands of people can hear it on iTunes is let's get rid of that stigma. There's no need for that. I mean, this is a natural thing that happens. Our primal mind responding to modern situations in a way that, you know, anxiety is that fight or flight response. You're supposed to have that adrenaline rush and all those crazy feelings when a bear chases you. But in our modern life, it's not bears chasing us. It's like bills and bosses and things like that. Yeah. Yeah, sure. And bills and bosses. Yeah. Bills and bosses. The stuff of life, you know? Yeah, Yeah. Exactly. I mean, everybody has fear, anxiety, worry, et cetera. How come some people get disorders because of it and some people are like, eh, life, you know? It's like the magic question right there, the $10 million question. (laughs) Different people have different responses to any situation in life. One of the things with this particular type of situation is it, you know, you can go, you can look back at, okay, how do they learn to adapt to things and, and that sort of an issue. But even people who have been well adjusted and adapted and handled stressors well throughout their life can all of a sudden have a change with a circumstance like what happened to me or somebody, especially somebody going, you know, into combat. Now this specific traumatic event has triggered something in your mind that responds differently. So basically it's, it's hardwiring. It, yeah, it, it can, it can be. And I mean, there's, you know, always debate about how much of it is uh, like a genetic factor, the whole nature versus nurture type thing, you know, you know, that debate is kind of still out there, but we definitely know for sure that these particular events can, you know, you talk about the, the wiring, the hard wiring, our minds are plastic. You know, the concept of neuroplasticity, we can actually change the wiring and the responses that happen in our brain. And so that's one of the ways that you're improving that response as you, for example, meditate on a regular basis. You're kind of rewiring your mind to be calmer and to respond and have a better attitude toward everything in your life. Okay, that's good. Yeah, let's get into this. So rather than taking pills, you started to meditate. And what else have you done to sort of naturally control this? And how has it worked for you? 
So the, you know, yeah, I mean, I mentioned meditation or some type of relaxation. It could be any type of visualization practice. I mean, there are guided MP3s that you can get. I've, I've even got a few on the website that go through just a, a guided thing. And that what I like about that it, as a starting point is meditation. We think like, oh, I have to be like this Buddhist monk and like sit back and clear my mind and wear a robe and whatever on a mountaintop somewhere. But you don't really have to do that, especially when you're starting out. It can be simply you're listening to someone's voice guiding you through. And it's really all about where your focus is staying on that one thing. Even just in, you know, 20 minutes a day for a couple of weeks, you can actually, there's research where they've actually seen, they'll look at brain scans and you can see the part of your mind that responds and triggers the calming response in a stress situation or after a stress situation grows within just a few weeks of doing 20 minutes a day of meditation. So you can meditate and grow a part of your brain that helps you respond better to stress. Yes, and to focus. So it helps you in other areas of your life as well. Well, that sounds handy. Yeah, it's pretty pretty good to have around. Yeah, I would imagine. <laughs> so that's the starting point, you know. For for me, whenever anybody talks to me about having anxieties, dealing with major stress, any kind of an anxiety disorder, if you're not doing some form of that, like I said, whether it's a, you know, a, a transcendental meditation, you know, like the big almost religious sounding type of thing that we think of, or simply listening to the mp3 that i've got where i guide you through a walk on the beach that's where you start if you're not doing something like that then you're really limiting the ability to succeed with the other things that you're doing sure yeah i can understand that what about constantly being busy i mean that's a very american thing i think something that i'm very guilty of i'm always doing stuff and i actually feel a little bit guilty when i'm not doing stuff yeah, this is this is a huge concept in our culture. We're raised to think like you've got to do as much as you can. You've got to go, go, go all day long, right? You've got to be busy. You've got to be accomplishing and, and making something. And we think of rest or relaxation as being lazy. When in reality, taking a little bit of time out each day to rest is a productive activity because it's going to just like we mentioned a minute ago with the meditation example, it builds your ability to focus, which means that when you are being active, you get more done in a shorter time. So basically, we should start looking at rest not as, oh, I'm being lazy, I need to get off my butt and go do this, but as recharging your batteries quite, quite literally in many ways to be able to do other things better and faster. Yeah, I mean, take the example that you've got right there, you know, your cell phone. If you just use it all day and then expect to use it all day tomorrow and use it all day the next day, it's not going to work because you didn't recharge the battery, right? Or the example of a car. The, our vehicles actually have an entire part in the engine that is just for recharging the batteries, dedicated to that, the alternator. It recharges your battery as you drive. And we need to do that for ourselves. We need to recharge our batteries and, and it's some form of rest. I've actually heard it said even that you should take an hour a day, a day a week, a weekend a month, and one week per quarter off from your work to be able to rest and recharge. That sounds so difficult. 
So it sounds somehow, crazy to Americans, right? It does. It sounds crazy. But if you're French or Spanish right now, you're like, that's it? No way, man. <laughs> yeah. I need way more than that. Yeah. I'm tired already hearing this. All right. So definitely need to get more rest. <laughs> I think most people can identify with that. But yeah, I mean, we live in a culture that's like, go, 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 achieve more. And it takes a toll on our health. And I, I know a lot of people even on Wall Street that had like crazy anxiety disorders. We just thought they did too much Red Bull or other substances to stay awake all night and all day. You can't believe how many of those people are the clients that we run into with anxiety coaching. Our, our typical clients a lot of times are highly driven, very successful people, top people at Fortune 500 companies. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. They, they're driven like machines to get there, but the, the, that's basically a, a positive, well, m one might think, positive cause of their anxiety disorder that they've just been ignoring. And people are like, man, look at this guy go. So they're not like, I'm going to, I got to fix this thing that keeps me motivated to achieve all the time. That's really hurting my health. They're thinking, this is awesome. Dude, you nailed it on the head right there. Cause that was the next point I was going to make about that is these driven characteristics, these personality traits, the perfectionism and the drivenness and, and all of that are very common among people that suffer from anxiety are the same things that got those guys into those jobs that we're talking about on Wall Street or in the Fortune 500 companies. You know, um, they're very beneficial. The thing is, you may be able to go your whole life without really noticing a panic attack, a big day to day effect like that. But a lot of those people are taking some kind of pill to manage their stress. There's stress issues with a lot of that, right? Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah. <laughs> you could be like me who you're going along just fine and you have those personality traits. You don't recognize them as a problem or as being related to any kind of an anxiety disorder. And then you get in a car accident, triggers some PTSD and boom, all of those characteristics that you thought were just helping you to build your own business and helping you to be, you know, successful in every job you have and all those types of things. Now you see where there's a downside to them. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I mean, I can, I'm just starting to go through the list of people in my head that I used to work with that have anxiety disorders. I think it's like, it's a significant double digit percentage. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. I had a, a client one time, back when I was personal training, I had a client who, when I left my job at like the big box gym and went and opened up my own place, came with me and, you know, this person was, you know, very smart guy. He was like valedictorian of his college class and everything, went on to be a nurse practitioner and, you know, working with like thoracic transplant or something, you know, super, super smart guy and very driven. And he told me, basically, we were living in Chicago at the time, and he told me, look, if you want to live in this kind of culture and be able to succeed and be able to push yourself and, and whatever and drive that way, you just have to take a pill. You have to take an SSRI or something. You have to take an anxiety medication to get through. And, you know, I can't tell you how many of those people that I've worked with who, oh, yeah, a couple days a week or maybe even more. I have to take a little bit of Xanax just to be able to get through the workday. Oh, my gosh. You can't believe how common that is. If you were to go back to some of those, you know, the driven Wall Street types that you know and ask how many of them take either 
an SSRI, like a daily anxiety pill, or just use a little bit of Xanax or, you know, another generic form of Xanax, almost all of them probably. Wow, that's kind of terrible. And you're right, it does end up being kind of commonplace, especially if one person's doing it, you're like, oh, really, that works? Let me try it. And then suddenly your whole office is just like, snorting lines of Xanax every every afternoon after lunch to <laughs> keep things on an even keel. That's what they were really doing on the Wolf of Wall Street. Right, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't cocaine, it was Xanax. <laughs> you know, it's funny, it, we joke about it, but there were definitely, you know, when I worked on Wall Street, and I wasn't even in a super high-pressure firm compared to a lot of guys like at Merrill Lynch and stuff like that, you could pretty much ask anybody for some kind of, everybody had their thing. There yeah. were some people who had six cups of coffee per day, there, those were like the people who probably would have been normal otherwise, but needed to stay super hyper all the time. There were people who had decided that cocaine was better. There are people that loved Red Bull and, you know, even basically had a mini fridge in their office loaded with it um, because downstairs it was too expensive and it started to add <laughs> up and eat into their 100. Imagine this, you're making 160 grand a year and you're like, man, I'm spending too much on Red Bull. I need to <laughs> actually have a Red Bull fridge in my office. And then there were people who had all kinds of other things. I mean, you'd, I remember one time in particular, because I, I thought it was so funny. It had first started at this firm, and this fifth-year sort of mid-level, mid-to-senior-level associate was like, yeah, man, you going down to eat lunch? I was like, yeah. And he goes, yeah, you know, I'm just going to go home for lunch. You know, I like to kind of go home and chill during lunch. And I'm like, yeah, cool. And then I remember thinking, like, I obviously missed some sort of signal that he was throwing <laughs> out there. And and then he came back in the elevator and he's like, dude, do I smell like buds? And I was like, oh, okay, now it's really obvious. No, you're fine, man. He's like, cool, because I was just chilling at home. You ever chill in the middle of the workday? And I was like, no, no, I, I can't chill too much. I'm not very productive. He goes, okay, understandable, man, cool. And I was like, oh, literally everyone here is addicted to something. It's just, you know, some people it's caffeine, others it's harder, and others it's herbal, you know? Everyone at the friggin' firm was managing their anxiety in some way like that. I don't think, and even the guys who worked out to manage their anxiety, they worked out like twice a day. Right. It wasn't and healthy like, working out. It was like, I need to run 10 miles because otherwise I'm going to jump off the top of the building. Well, and what's funny is you mentioned like just the addiction, you know, the word being addicted to all these different, everybody's got some addiction. The anxiety itself becomes an addiction because the response to it is that fight or flight. We get those you know, that adrenaline rush, that big boost of hormones. And, you, you know, you get kind of addicted to that. Even when you're having panic attacks and suffering to that point, I talk to people all the time who they don't consciously think of it this way until I explain it to them. But they're essentially addicted to that feeling to the point where when I ask them to sit down and do a guided visualization once a day, they can't sit still for 20 minutes. That's me. Yeah. Well, that's why I don't blog. I podcast because I just get to talk. Writing <laughs> requires too much concentration. But, you know, what about the plus side of it, just to play devil's advocate? I mean, what about multitasking? Because that's the thing you hear from everybody who is operating at 95 miles an hour 24-7. Oh, man, you know, I'm juggling. A, there's a lot of balls in the air. I got to do a lot of things all at once. And they're multitasking, multitasking, multitasking. And now research shows, guess what? That's not a real thing. Right? Yeah, I'm I'm definitely against multitasking as a concept. The reality is that when you look at the research that you alluded to there, Jordan, it takes roughly 20 minutes every time you change tasks. Let's say you have an hour of your workday and you have three different things that you're trying to do during that hour and you're switching back and forth between them. You'll literally 
get nothing done of quality work because your quality work starts 20 minutes into starting a task. Yeah, that sucks. So that alone, right off the bat, you know, yeah, you're losing your quality. Yeah. I mean, especially if you're blocking your day out in one hour or even half an hour increments, if it takes you 20 minutes to regain full focus, you're literally not focused on anything all day, pretty much. Well, I'm sure any of us can think about sometime. I mean, you know, you mentioned the idea of blogging versus podcasting. And yeah. so for you and I, we can think about trying to sit down and write a blog post and why we do podcasts now. But everybody else can think about, you know, anything you've tried to write. When you were in school and you tried to write, a paper and you sit down and maybe it takes you maybe more than 20 minutes. It might be like four hours to get focused. But once you get focused on that task and you're writing a five page paper and it takes you two hours to finish the whole thing, once you're focused, how much of a perfect example is that for instead of wasting our time by multitasking, just get focused on one task, bang that task out and then move on to the next one. Yeah, I mean, it sounds really complicated now that you mention it. But, <laughs> but I mean, not complicated. It sounds uncomplicated. It sounds difficult for me personally, just because but when you, it's hard to focus. Right, it is. And that's why, you know, when I talk about the relaxation and visualization, when you train your brain in those ways, it becomes easier to focus and it takes you less time to get focused. Hmm. So even if you do then try to multitask, hopefully we could translate that into maybe it won't take you as long to get into a new task. Sure. But my thing is, you know, one of the other skills that I try to teach people to do is to pick a main focus that they can focus on for the day and, you know, break your time up rather than just doing seven things at once. Say, okay, my main goal for today is I'm going to record and prepare a podcast. Like, this is my job for today. And then, and what's kind of cool with that is if you give yourself that task and you get focused and you get a task done and then you get to work on some other stuff, you get this whole like little endorphin rush because you got more done than you had to, right? Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have to be broken down into every single day. It could be maybe you break your day into quarters. Think of it like a football game, you know, the first quarter of my day, I've got, you know, a couple of meetings that I have to do and you know, I'm going to accomplish these things and then I'm going to go to lunch. And then in the second quarter, I'm going to hop on to a call with Jordan over at the Art of Charm and we're going to record a podcast. And that's my main task in that quarter. And then, you know, and you break it up into that time. Not only does it help you to focus and accomplish things more efficiently, but it also reduces your stress around those things because you're not allowing yourself then to worry or concentrate on, man, I've really got to, oh, I've got to, I've got to get this task done. I've got to write something in the third quarter of my day. No, you're not worried about it because it doesn't happen until the third quarter. Interesting. So yeah. I'm worrying about it all day. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. It also keeps the ADD tendencies down, right? Yeah. If you just have 15 things to get done today and no set kind of plan for when to get them done like that, then it's very easy to bounce back and forth and never finish anything oh, yeah. versus between nine and noon, I'm going to work on this. Between noon and three, I'm going to work on that. Now, what about just straight up declining the amount of work that comes in? Because I think something that a lot of us are guilty of and that I used to be guilty of as well is just never saying no and just over becoming overwhelmed by just being a sponge for either other people's work in an organization 
or random tasks that people are delegating or just making more work for myself, something that's maybe not even urgent that needs doesn't even need to be done right away, etc. That stuff can take over your life if you let it. That's boundary setting. And you need to be willing to set boundaries and learn that it's okay to say no to people. You have a right to say no, especially if it's something that's not going to fit with what you've already got going on. Uh, even, honestly, let's be honest, even if your boss asks you to accomplish a task, you might not say, you, you know, you might not just be dickish and say, no, man, get out of here. But you can say, look, I've got this other project I'm working on, so I'm not going to be able to get both done. You know, you may want to change your wording of how you say it. Yeah, sure. Something a little more diplomatic. Yeah, yeah you can be diplomatic about how you say it. But saying no and setting boundaries and limits is really, really important. You're going to get more done in the end because you're not going to be doing this crazy multitasking that we just talked about. And the stress levels that can be caused by not saying boundaries, if you just say yes to everything everyone ever asks you, then you're never going to get to do the things that are important to you. And you're only focusing on what everybody else has asked you to do. And it might be a ton of insignificant little crap that you don't want to do. Excellent. Well, yeah, I love that. Setting boundaries, taking time out for your own health, uh, as well as why multitasking doesn't work, and just focusing on the cause instead of you know, medicating the symptom, I think are awesome takeaways from this. Is there anything that I haven't asked you that you want to lay down for us? No, I, th I think we really nailed a lot of the important kind of topics. You know, we talked a lot about what our what our culture tells us to do and how we're so driven, which is probably a very common, you know, mindset of a lot of the guys listening to this show. I mean, I know it's it's how you and I have always thought, right? And sure. and for me it led to some of these issues and I've kind of had to learn how to get around them. The other thing that I would throw out there, I mean, I've got some, you know, if you guys want to check out what I'm up to, I've got the podcast, the Anxiety Coaches podcast. So we're on iTunes and everything and that's I go more in depth about a lot of these different concepts and twice a week we're putting out an episode with some kind of a skill or some aspect of how to handle your stress and anxiety and, and really to overcome it without, without drugs. That's the big thing is we, we just do it naturally. Excellent. Well, thank you very much, Kevin. Much appreciated. We'll have your podcast and site, of course, linked up in the show notes and hopefully some people can stop over medicating or at least address the right causes and, uh, stop lying to themselves about why they feel the way they do. For sure, man. It was great talking to you once again, as always. And uh, thanks for having me on. Thank you. Hope you enjoyed that one. Interesting. Multitasking not being a real thing. I can definitely identify with that. And I can identify a lot with the fact that anxiety is something that we almost reward. Not almost. That we do reward here in the States in our work culture. Hope you enjoyed that one. The show is a fanarchy. It's run by you. So I need your suggestions to keep my finger on the pulse. So if you know someone who's a good fit for the show, let us know, jordan at theartofcharm.com, call or email. If you enjoyed this one, don't forget to thank Kevin on Twitter. We're going to have that linked up in the show notes. And bootcamp details, theartofcharm.com slash bootcamp. If you're listening to this but you're not subscribed in iTunes or Stitcher, I don't know what your problem is, but obviously you don't know how to run your life. Alternately, we have our iPhone and Android apps available at theartofcharm.com slash iPhone and slash Android. Those are apps. They're free. They stream the show. It's easy. Special thanks to the Jasons for their help in the production of the Art of Charm podcast. And now go ahead and tell your friends because the greatest compliment you can give us 
is a referral to someone else, either in person or shared on the web. Now have a great week, go out there and get social, and leave everything and everyone better than you found them. Thanks for listening to The Art of Charm. Get more confidence, relationship skills, life hacks, and everything for the extraordinary man at theartofcharmpodcast.com.